Our Heavenly Father, we want to give you the praise and the thanks that you are a God of such grace and mercy, even to the unfaithful. And help me now to preach your gospel with clarity and faithfulness. And may you fill our hearts with hope and joyful praise as we remember what Jesus has done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, where can we find real joy and hope this Christmas? Where can we find real joy and hope this uh, Christmas? Uh, if you're anything like me, uh, we entered 2021 with a note of cautious optimism. Uh, after a very challenging year of lockdowns and uh, COVID, uh, finally things seemed to be looking up at the end of last year. Uh, the churches were reopening, the borders were reopening, uh, vaccines had been developed, and they were already being rolled out in some countries. I think few of us would have predicted that this year would have been quite as challenging as it has been. Uh, we've had Delta variant, we've had skyrocketing cases in Malaysia, we've had strict lockdowns, we've had political instability in a new government, uh, and church has been closed. Is it six months since you last met? Something like that until today, praise God. It has been a difficult year, and uh, through all these challenges and isolations, I think many of us have probably struggled emotionally and perhaps spiritually too. And in the stress, uh, many of us have experienced conflict, maybe at work, uh, at home, or, or, or we, even within the church. Uh, it's been hard, a hard year. And I'm sure now as we uh, look forward to 2022, uh, we hope that it's all going to be finally over. And yet our hearts sink again as we hear now of Omicron variant and uh, the prospect of more challenges ahead. So I guess as Christmas approaches, uh, perhaps joy and hope may not be our dominant emotions right now. Uh, we may instead feel a sense of tiredness, anxiety, insecurity, or even hopelessness. So how will we find real joy and hope this Christmas? Well, I'm glad I can be with you on your first physical meeting, and uh, we're going to have this four-week series reflecting on the hope and joy the birth of Jesus brings. So today we're looking at this song from Mary in Luke chapter 1, her heartfelt response of praise to the angel's announcement of Jesus' birth. Uh, let's just remind ourselves of the context back in verse 30 and also on the screen. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So for a long time, God's people had been waiting for God's kingdom to come. They'd been exiled to Babylon because of their idolatry and sin. By God's grace, they had returned to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. But in Jesus, at this time, they were still under the Roman rule, and they were still longing for the day that God's Messiah would come and usher in his glorious kingdom. For centuries, they'd waited and many times, I guess, their situation perhaps had felt hopeless and difficult as well. But for them, as for us, the birth of Jesus changed everything. The child that was born to Mary, we're told, will be the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, 
the one who would rule over all the nations forever, the Son of God himself. And so in verses 39 to 44, Mary goes to her relative Elizabeth, uh, and she has she cries out in praise as she meets Mary. She says this in verse 42, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And so Elizabeth recognises that that baby in Mary's womb is actually her Lord. And as she realises that, she is filled with this overflowing joy and hope. She recognises how blessed Mary is to have such a place in the plans of God. She exclaims in verse 45, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. So Mary's song here is her heartfelt response to all this. A, a song of joy and praise that is actually meant to become our own song. And now, although we're clearly not Jesus' mother, uh, this song is uh, held up to us by Luke as, as a model of how we should respond to Jesus' birth. It's a model of how Jesus' birth ought to bring us joy and hope, overwhelming praise no matter what our circumstances are right now. Well, let's, uh, let's dive in. And the first point this morning, gratitude for God's gracious blessing. Gratitude for God's gracious blessing. And as uh, Mary reflects on what God has done for her, she bursts out in praise. Verse 46, she says, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. Now, I want you to notice Mary's response here, it's a very biblical response. Uh, and many of the themes that we will find in this song are actually lifted straight out of the Old Testament, uh, especially uh, Hannah's response to the birth of Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 2. We're not going to compare all the way through, but look how Hannah's song uh, begins in 1, uh, 1 Samuel 2. She says, My heart exalts in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord, my mouth derides my enemies because... I rejoice in your salvation. So just as God had intervened in, in Hannah's time to provide her a child when she was barren, so Mary again recognises God's gracious interven intervention in the miraculous provision of her child, Jesus. And, and so she, she uses these words of Scripture to uh, express her praise to God. So it's a biblical uh, uh, response. Mary's response is also joyful, of course. She, she glorifies the Lord. She rejoices in God, her Saviour. And throughout these opening chapters of Luke's Gospel, we see this pattern of promise and fulfilment and praise. Uh, Mary, Zechariah, the shepherds, Simeon, Anna, and so on, as they recognise God's gracious work in the Lord Jesus, they're overcome with this joyful praise. So it's biblical, it's joyful, it's, it's personal. She, she says, my soul, my spirit, my saviour. She speaks out of the very depths of her being, her soul, with this indescribable joy. She, she's, she's so moved by this knowledge of God's grace to her that all she wants to do is, is magnify God's name, to, to make his greatness known, to glorify him. 
You see, this, this kind of biblical, uh, joyful, grateful, joyful praise, that's the mark of someone who's truly understood the grace of God towards them in the Lord Jesus. Well, one more thing we might notice here is her response is, is humble. Now, there's, there's no doubt really in these verses, is it, that Mary feels this great privilege she's been given is totally undeserved. Again and again, we're told in these verses that God has poured out his grace, his favor on Mary. Let's just list a few of them on the screen. Verse 28, he came to her, this is the angel, and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Verse 13, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Verse 42, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then verse 45, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment. And verse 48, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. So Mary is well aware that she has received this abundant blessing from God, but not because she deserves it, but because God has been gracious. He's, he's poured out his favor upon her. Uh, and so whilst we can recognize here that, that Mary has been uh, received an amazing blessing from God, we shouldn't overly exalt her either uh, in an unbiblical way. I mean, some of us here may have heard of the Roman Catholic doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. Uh, that's the belief that not only Jesus was sinless, but Mary herself was also sinless, that she was untainted by original sin, so that she could achieve an exalted position alongside the Lord Jesus. She's called co-redemptrix, queen of heaven, someone so full of grace that she could become a fountain of grace for all who turn to her. Uh, and, and so evolved in Roman Catholicism, the practice of praying to Mary, asking her to pray for us so that we can be saved. And so exalted, of course, Mary becomes in Roman Catholicism that she becomes pretty much more prominent than Jesus himself. It's really crucial that we understand that that uh, veneration of Mary that we see in Roman Catholicism is actually the opposite of what this song is teaching us. Uh, Mary's not presented as sinless here. In, in verse 47, look again, Mary addresses God as her saviour. Right? She recognises that, that she too needs to be rescued. And rightly so, Romans 3.23, uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and Mary's not excluded from that. There's no doubt that she was godly and full of faith, but she wasn't sinless. She knew she needed a saviour. And, and secondly, we shouldn't give uh, devotion to Mary as, as if she was uh, worthy in herself, a, a, a saint elevated above normal Christians like us. Mary is full of humility, and, and her prayer reflects her awareness of just how unworthy she was. And look how she praises God as her Lord and Savior in verse 48. It says, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. So she knows she doesn't deserve this grace, of being elevated from obscurity to become the mother of Jesus. See, it's not that Mary is great but it is that God has done great things for her. Verse 48 again. Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Why is that? For he who is mighty 
has done great things for me. Holy is his name. See, God is the one who's made all this possible. God is the one who's brought life to a virgin's womb. God is the one who in his grace sent Jesus to be the saviour. And so Mary is full of humility and she's overwhelmingly praise that God would choose someone like her. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my saviour. And from her inmost being, she praises God who has shown this amazing grace to a sinner like her. And so while we definitely should not venerate Mary, we should see in Mary a marvellous example of how we should respond to the gospel, do you see? How we should respond to the, to the message of Christmas. We are to be overcome with such a sense of amazement that God would shower his blessings on unworthy sinners like us. Now, we don't deserve God's blessings either, do we? We've all rejected God's rule in our life one way or another, whether right now we're still following the gods of other religions or, or our affections have keep being taken away from Christ to other good things like our work or our family or, or, or we're giving in to temptations and sins or our character is still full of pride or anger or greed. Now, we don't deserve God's favour either, do we? We don't deserve God's Son to come and die for us. But the more we can recognise our humble estate and how unworthy we are to have Jesus come and save us, well, then the more like Mary we will overflow with this deep, joyful praise from the depths of our soul. I think that it's, uh, it's natural in this pandemic that we feel tired and we feel downcast. But here, as we lift our eyes from the very immediate troubles that are all around us and think of how God has dealt with our ultimate problem, our sins, I think that is the path that we will find this deep joy in our soul as we come to Christmas. Because, of course, it's not just that Mary became a part of God's plan, and it's Mary who experienced God's blessing, but we do as well, don't we? And I think it's helpful to read on in Luke's Gospel to see this. Let's have a look on the screen. Luke 11, verse 27 and 28. As Jesus said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Or again in Luke 8, Jesus was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. You see, as, as privileged as Mary is to become the mother of Jesus, the real blessing, the, the even greater blessing, is that we can be part of God's, God's family, his spiritual family, through the gospel. As we respond to Jesus' words in repentance and faith, our sins are forgiven. We become children of God. We have the hope of eternal life. We are blessed. And I think it's fair to say we are blessed, well, even more than Mary, or at least as much. And so in response to God's grace, we are to emulate her response, humble, joyful, personal, biblical, we are to praise God for his might, his power, his holiness, and his grace. 
So I guess I want to ask you this morning, when is the last time that you pause to praise God for what he's done for a sinner like you? I think it is easy to become numb to the message of Christmas. And so just imagine for a moment, what if Jesus didn't come? What if there was no Christmas to celebrate? Imagine you went through this pandemic with no knowledge that God loved you with no hope of eternal life. As you reflect on those things, I think that helps, isn't it? As we become aware of how great our need for Him is, the more we'll overflow with praise like this. So that's the first point of this morning, gratitude for God's gracious blessing. The second point, gratitude for God's gracious reversal. Gratitude for God's gracious Reversal, And what we see in verses 50 to 53 is that God's grace to Mary is a picture of how God treats all who humbly trust him in all generations. That God is and always has been the God of grace and power who brings reversals in his world. He brings down the proud. He raises up the humble. So look at verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Now, notice all the verbs in those verses are actually in the past tense. These are the things that God has done again and again in Israel's history as he's expressed his gracious and faithful love for his people for those who fear his name. Again, Mary knows what her God is like. He is the God who scatters the proud, who brings down rulers from their thrones, the God who sends the rich away empty. He's the God who opposes those who are self-sufficient, who brings down those who exalt themselves over him. We can think of many examples of this in the Old Testament. Maybe we think of Pharaoh, right, who in his arrogance enslaved and opposed God's people. Maybe we can think of Nebuchadnezzar, who took God's people into exile and boasted of Babylon, which he built for the glory of his majesty. Perhaps we think of proud Haman, who boasted of his achievements and sought to destroy God's people, the Jews. And again and again in each of those episodes, God is the one who brings down the proud, who opposes the powerful. And Daniel tells us every earthly kingdom will one day fall, but the kingdom of God will stand forever. Uh, because because God, uh, God opposes the, the powerful and the rich and the strong, not because Power and and riches and strength are bad in and of themselves. But because power and wealth and strength, they can can so easily corrupt our hearts so that we live independently of God and indeed oppose God. We, we, We start to do things our way for our benefit, seeking praise for ourselves. The rich person's wealth, the powerful person's power can very easily make them self focused self-sufficient, lacking in faith for God, in God, love for neighbor, and instead opposing the people of God. But here we're assured, such proud self-assertion, that enlarging of our own self-importance, 
seeking self-benefit for personal glory. Well, that's at the heart of sin, and God hates it, and God will bring it down. Now, of course, we don't have to be powerful or wealthy, though, to be proud, do we? I mean, we can be proud of our achievements, we can be proud of our possessions, proud of our position and status, proud of our ministry, proud of our knowledge and skills, proud of our moral superiority over others. But we must beware anyone who depends on themselves, their own strength, denial of God, we're told they will be overthrown in the end. God scatters the proud. He brings down the powerful. He sends the rich away empty. And I think the fact that God chose a poor virgin from a backward kampung named Nazareth and not a powerful prince, uh, princess, I guess, to be the earthly mother of his son, well, that demonstrates, isn't it, God's commitment to overturn the ways of this world, to bring down the proud to raise up the humble. And, and so in verse 52, we see the other side of this glorious reversal. Verse 52, we're told, he has lifted up the humble, he's filled the hungry with good things. Now, again, this is not so much about the material state, as if you know, being poor automatically makes you more acceptable to God. Uh, but the Bible often makes a connection between our material state and our spiritual state. And that is, those who in humility uh, recognize their desperate need for God are those who will find his favor, uh, those who acknowledge him and fear him and trust him, just like Mary has done, are those who will experience his grace. And it is often those who are you know, most uh, materially in need uh, who recognize how much they need the Lord. Now, although Mary uses here past tense to look back on how God has always worked in the Old Testament, I think it's pretty clear also that she sees the coming of Christ as the you know, climactic fulfillment of that reversing work. In other words, the ultimate act of God's grace and power, ushering in a whole new world order, is the coming of the Lord Jesus. With the coming of the Lord Jesus, God's enemies will finally be brought down his people exalted. Think about it. Mary's child, Jesus Christ, is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who's going to usher in God's kingdom, who's going to rescue God's people. And it's only those who will acknowledge, recognize their spiritual poverty, and in humility come and bow before him as their king, who will enter that kingdom and experience his blessing. Whereas those in this world who are proud and arrogant and refuse to come to Jesus, they'll be brought down. And when he returns to destroy his enemies, they'll be sent off to eternal punishment. So Mary recognizes with the coming of her child that a new age is dawned, a whole new world order that's centered on the Lord Jesus. The proud will be brought down. The humble who come to him as king will be exalted. So I wonder if you've uh, recognized that uh, today. I don't know all of you personally. Uh, maybe there are some here investigating the Christian faith 
uh, or maybe online you are doing so, thinking about who is Jesus or what is Christmas about. Uh, that's great that you're here. And this is the big question that we must ponder. Have we recognized King Jesus as the central figure of history who holds our eternal future in his hands? Have we recognized King Jesus as the central figure of history who holds our eternal future in his hands? If we're not yet a believer, then we mustn't let pride stop us from re responding rightly to him, you know, losing face to our non-Christian family or something like that. We must not let our trust in our riches stop us from coming to Jesus, as if we've got all we need without him. Because God's word says here that the great reverse was going to come in the end. There'll be a judgment day at the end of time. And only Jesus can rescue from us, us from that. The humble who will come to him as king will be saved. But those who will not will be sent away to judgment. And if we're already believers this morning, well, we can rejoice in this reversal that God has, has brought. That this, this great reversal that will come in the end. We know a new creation will dawn. We know our sufferings in this world will end. We know eternal joy will follow. So that's the second point. Uh, we've seen God's gracious blessing, gratitude for God's gracious blessing, gratitude for God's gracious reversal. And the final point this morning, gratitude for God's gracious fulfillment of his promises. Gratitude for God's gracious fulfillment of his promises. And Mary closes this song with a great celebration of God's faithfulness. Look at verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Of course, God's uh, salvation plan it begins right at the start in Genesis 12, isn't it? With those promises to Abraham. He's going to bless, uh, bless him, bless all nations through him. And Abraham's descendants, we know, become the nation of Israel. They're redeemed out of Egypt. They're brought into the promised land. Uh, but it's all only to become under the judgment of God as they sin and they go into exile. Uh, but Isaiah, the prophet, he, he speaks of how God's going to restore his servant Israel through his chosen Messiah. Isaiah 53, uh, which we always read at Easter, one is going to suffer for the sins of the people to reconcile them to God. And so as Mary reflects on the identity of this child in her womb, she bursts out in praise to the faithful God of steadfast love who always keeps his promises. She recognizes this is the God who never abandons his people, the God who saves, the God who delivers, the God who blesses, just as he promised long ago. And of course, again, it's not just Mary who can give thanks for the faithfulness of God in keeping his promises. Because Genesis 12, of course, the blessing was not just for Israel, but for, for all the nations, for us. Uh, God's suffering servant in Isaiah 49, 6, he died not just for, for Israel, but to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And so we too can celebrate and praise God for his faithfulness, that he is the God who never abandons his people, who always keeps his promises to us.
So I guess as we come to a close, we see here that Mary knows her God. She knows her God is holy, powerful, merciful, loving, faithful, her king, her saviour. And she can do nothing else but burst out in praise from the bottom of her heart to the God who has showed such mercy to the humble and lowly. Well, I mentioned at the start, Mary's song is held up for us. It's a model for us to imitate. It's a song for our lips. That as we too reflect on the character of God in sending his son for us, we too might join Mary in this exuberant praise. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. It's no doubt been a very difficult year in many ways. As we head into the new year, there are probably many challenges to come. And so though we may feel weighed down, our bodies may feel tired, our minds restless as we come to Christmas, this song teaches us how we can have real joy and hope as we reflect on God's gracious blessing of unworthy sinners like us as we reflect on the glorious reversal that his kingdom will bring, and as we reflect on the faithful character of our God, who is full of mercy and love. So will you reflect on these things in the coming weeks? And as you do, try to look past the present challenges and allow your heart to be stirred again with joy to this faithful Saviour King. Let's uh, pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we want to praise you. That you are the, the merciful, faithful, powerful God who sent your Son to save sinners like us. Lord, we want to acknowledge before you our humble estate this morning. We are sinners. We are often proud and self-sufficient. But Lord, we thank you that you bless all who come to you in humility. We pray that you would keep us humbly dependent on the Lord Jesus. And we pray that you would help us uh, to reflect on what he's done so that we can look past our present challenges and experience a deep joy as we come to this uh, Christmas time. Fill our hearts with praise to you for all that you have done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.